So now that Pastor John and his family are away and I can speak to each of you uh, privately with uh, no concern of anything that's shared in this context, getting out to, to the Stangis and their family, I uh, have to let you in on uh, a little secret. Um, Dorney Park is better than Knobles. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know if you were aware of that, um, but uh, one particular uh, theme park venue gets promoted uh, quite a lot from this pulpit. And I just figured I'd throw it out there. Uh, now, I, I enjoy Knobles plenty when, I, um, when I've had the opportunity to go there. It's a, it's a really neat experience. But growing up, uh, my family would go to Dorney Park during the summertime. So Dorney Park has a special place in my heart because a lot of my uh, family memories are, you know, at, at Dorney Park. And one thing you realize when you go to a place like that, a theme park or whatever, is uh, each of the um, attractions or rides, uh, roller coasters, slides, what have you, um, they have a pretty extensive set of rules associated with them. And at no point in reading the list of rules, I think, you know, any common sense sane human being goes, oh man, this isn't going to be any fun. They totally ruined roller coasters for me by making that rule. You have to have a seatbelt on. Are you, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and uh, unfortunately, though, I, I grew up with uh, Shane Beamer, my, one of my older brothers, who um, did seem to think that any rule involved in anything would ruin the amount of fun that you could have while doing that thing. And at, at Dorney they have, I don't know if they still do, but they at, uh, at this point when we were kids, they had a slide that was, uh, it was like a tube slide. It was a, a bit, one of those huge plastic slides, but you went on it as a family. I think it was like six or eight people sat in this tube together, and you had to like hold on um, and ride down the slide. But my brother thought that it would be an awesome idea if he could like flip the tube over with our whole family while we were going down this slide. But, you know, when you had, there's five of us, and he was scrawny, so he had no actual physical ability to flip the tube over, but what he did have the physical ability to do was flip himself over out of the tube as we were going, going down the slide. And it was one of those slides where at some points it's enclosed, like it's a full tube, but then at other points it's just like the base of the tube and then the top's open and exposed. And, at one point when, we, when this happens, he, you know, is trying to flip us over and he f- rolls himself out of the tube and he's not quite connected to us anymore. He's uh, just kind of freely sliding down the tube and it's not designed for a human body. It's designed for these tubes to be going down. And so uh, we're, you know, going around. It's uh, like this is a scary situation for our family as we're picturing our brother going flying off the end. And there was actually one point where we went around to, a tube, and he was all but completely out of the slide, except for my dad was able to grab his wrist at the last second and pull him down in. And I can tell you that if if he would have just obeyed the rules in that context, that would have made that experience a lot more fun for our family. It's a funny story for me to tell now, but at the time, nobody was really, really laughing. Um, And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight in this passage in Galatians, that uh, 
the, the guidelines, the things that we have in place, uh, this idea of keeping in step with the Spirit, is not to be a buzzkill. It's not to be a killjoy in our lives. In fact, uh, the Christian walk, the walk of faith that we have, is designed to give us the maximum amount of enjoyment and peace and uh, everything that we could hope for in this life. And it's when we stray away from that that we end up failing, that we end up experiencing uh, some of the things that Dave was just praying for, disappointment, depression, and those kinds of things. So we're in Galatians 5. Up until this point, uh, Paul has been uh, building the, the, the idea that there is no other gospel there's, no, there's nothing that you can add to the gospel of Jesus. There's nothing that you can take away from the gospel of Jesus because the Galatian churches had bought into the belief that, uh, that in order to be saved, they needed to do things like be circumcised and that they needed to do things like keep the Ten Commandments because after the Apostle Paul traveled through that area, some folks that we now refer to as Judaizers went back through and said, oh yeah, that's great that the Apostle Paul told you about Jesus, but you also have to do this. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to keep the Ten Commandments. And while you're at it, you might as well keep all, all the hundreds of commandments in the law. And basically, they, they were converting the, the Galatians back to, uh, or co- converting the Galatians to Judaism, to uh, the life that Paul left. And in fact, throughout the book of Galatians up till this point, He's using example, he uses examples to confirm the fact that, that that's not the way that we're supposed to live anymore in light of Jesus Christ. That there, we have a new standard of righteous, righteousness. We have a, a full, complete standard of hope in him. So he uses the example of himself turning from his life in Judaism. He's like, look guys, I did the Judaism thing. I, I was a Pharisee. I, look, I was very zealously persecuting Christians. I did the whole Judaism thing, and Jesus transformed my life away from that. So why are you going back to my life of ignorance? When I was in Judaism, I was in ignorance. You guys have no excuse to go back to what I left behind. And then he brings up an example of confronting Peter, when Peter uh, fell into the trap of discriminating between Jews and Gentiles on these very issues because Gentiles were uncircumcised, because Gentiles didn't have the law, and, and he uh, became a, almost like a standard of self-righteousness unto himself. And so Paul uses the example of confronting Peter. It's not to bash Peter when he does that in the book of Galatians. It's in order to build this case that there is no other gospel. There's not, there's not two ways about it. There's not the way for the Jews and then the way for the Gentiles. It's always the gospel of Jesus. And then he goes into the example of Abraham as the father of faith. And Abraham even believed in the same exact gospel that the Galatians believed in. He was just looking forward to it. So Abraham had the promise of land and seed and blessing unto him. And he was looking forward to God providing those things. Ultimately, Paul says that that seed singular, was Jesus Christ to bring about the restoration of all peoples, to be a blessing to all nations. So even Abraham believed in the same exact gospel. And Abraham was, cre- was counted as righteous in God's sight before he was circumcised, Paul says, and 400 years before the law came. So how can righteousness be through circumcision and law if Abraham was justified by faith? 
And then the Apostle Paul uh, gives another example of how we're all adopted as sons. And if we live under the law, we're slaves to the law. We're, we're, it's kind of like the law was a, a guardian or a babysitter put in place to keep us in check till a certain time. But when Jesus came, we were adopted as sons. We're no longer just slaves. We don't just have to do the things that slaves do and obey the laws that slaves obey. We're actually entrusted with an inheritance. We're entrusted with responsibilities. Not just freedoms and rights, but really the Lord wants us to move on just from the thou shalt not do these things into participating in the family business of saving souls, of leading people to grow closer to Jesus. That there's, there's more that the Lord has in store for us. There's deeper blessings that the Lord has in store for us than just keeping laws and keeping a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. God has deeper blessings in store for us. So the passage that we're looking at specifically tonight is in the context of God calling the believers to freedom. So in Galatians 5:13 through 15 he highlights these ideas. You are called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the context that we're building off of tonight is we have this freedom, but the purpose of this freedom is not so that we just go and do whatever we want and fulfill our own selfish desires. It's so that through that freedom, we would be completely empowered to love one another freely. So if you're not there, please turn to Galatians 5. We're looking at chapter, verses 16 through 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Um, God, I thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Um, As we look at this passage today and think about this passage, may we examine ourselves and uh, may we be just encouraged with the reality that this is ours in Christ Jesus, that we, these things are by no means out of our reach, but through the blessing and the power of Jesus, we can have them here and now. Um, God, I thank you for the new life that you've called us to. God, help us to just wholeheartedly embrace that new life, to buy into what you have planned for us. Um, 
God, I just thank you for all the blessings that we have through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first, the Apostle Paul here highlights that there is a tension between our two natures. So he, he says that, he describes first off, this is kind of a theological concept, but there's two sets of desires that every Christian has. There's our sinful desire, the desires of the flesh, and then the desires of the spirit. And he says, his encouragement right off the bat is to walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's not saying like, look guys, there's two ways to go about it. You pick which one you want to do. He's saying right up front, no, walk by the spirit and you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. There's clearly one that we should do. This isn't like a, like a, um, a yin and yang thing where there needs to be balance between order and chaos and, you know, it's, it's perfect harmony when these two things are in tension. It's, no, there's a tension and the one is trying to destroy you. That's the desires of your flesh. And the desires of the spirit are trying to give you uh, the most fulfilling and fulfilled life you could possibly have. So right off the bat, it's walk by the spirit. And for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So these two things are at war with one another, though. They are in tension with one another. They they butt head to head. You can't fulfill the desires of your flesh and simultaneously fulfill the desires of the spirit. You can't fulfill the desires of the spirit and simultaneously fulfill the desires of your flesh. It's, it's one or the other. It's very much like Jesus saying that no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and stuff. You'll either serve one and hate the other or you'll serve that one and hate this one. You, you, you have to choose which one it's, it's going to be. But his, his admonishment here is in order to not fulfill the desires of the flesh, our, our ambition, our goal should be to fulfill the desires of our spirit, the, of the Holy Spirit, the desires of what God has for us. The solution to behaving sinfully isn't just not doing sinful things. It's not like we just say, all right, well, I, like, I'm just going to stand completely still in my spiritual life because if I stand still, then I'm not going to do anything bad. I, I submit to you that that's actually like the, one of the biggest situations where we end up being completely tempted to do the worst possible things is when we decide like, oh, like if I just sit here a little longer, I'm not going to do that thing that I'm tempted to do. It's like, no, g- get up and go and, and, and do something and be, be, active in doing what God has called us to do. And the reason why this is crucial is because when you embrace the law, the law tells you many things not to do. It's, you know, don't, don't do this. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie to anybody. Don't steal. And so if, if that's what your ambition is, is just all these things that you don't do, you're just stagnant. You're just standing still. And that, that doesn't have a power to defeat the flesh in your life. The, the goal is instead of stealing, give. Instead of lying, impart truth to people. Instead of committing adultery, be relentlessly, rigorously faithful and loving towards your spouse. 
You know, the, 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 it's, it's not that you, you just cancel out the negatives and you sit at zero. The goal is to do as many things as pleasing and as glorifying to the Lord as you can. And when you're walking through your life, living as though you're seeking to be pleasing to the Lord and carrying out activities and actions and embodying mindsets and dwelling on things that we know are pleasing to the Lord, those things are going to fill up our lives. It's going to fill up our thoughts. It's going to fill up our emotions. And we're not going, you know, the more that we dwell on those things, the less and less time and energy and emotional space and thought that we have to dwell on the desires of the flesh. It's, it's a very simple concept here. And then he says in here, these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what is it that we, that we want to do as Christians? I think that the, the cynical person in you know, my cynical nature says, well, obviously what we want to do is we just want to sin. And so, so God has given us his spirit to restrain us from that. And in a sense, you know, th- that is true. But the Apostle Paul talks in, in very similar terms in, in Romans 7. And I think that we'll see that there's a, different, there's a different perspective here. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Aha! Cynicism, we're evil, we're horrible people. But wait. That is in my flesh, in my fleshly desires, there is nothing good that dwells there. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do do not want is what I keep doing. When we're believers in Jesus, our desires are transformed. We want to please the Lord, but Satan desires to Just like with Peter, he desired to sift him like wheat. Satan desires to come and and just take away those desires and to fill our life with desires for sinfulness. But when the Holy Spirit indwells us, what we want to do is please the Lord. And Satan and our our own flesh comes back at that with these sinful sinful desires to, to, to keep us from doing the things that we want to do, to keep us from doing the things that we want to do in pleasing God. In our new nature, we, the things that we want to do is to please God. And then he goes on to, to delve into what these uh, desires of the flesh, what the works of the flesh look like. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives this, this long list. And it's by no means expen- extensive because he says, and things like these at the end. So it's like he could have kept, kept going with these things. But basically, all of these things, you know, wh- wh- whether it's a, <coughs> a sexual sin that's listed here, whether it's one of, of anger and jealousy and wrath towards other people, whether it's, it's one of just s- sinful desires, whether it's one of stirring up division between people. All these kinds of things are listed here. And they're, they, they're kind of examples of what the Apostle John lays out in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, when he, he talks about the things that are in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, those things. It's, it's all us-centered. It's all me-focused. It's all about whatever I can do to, to get what I want, to feel good, to bolster my reputation. It's, it's all self-centered. And it's, it's all in this idea of when you, and 
I think Paul is preempting the idea here where he's, uh, he's given the Galatians an out in the sense that he said, look, it's not about keeping the law. Keeping the law is not what's going to make you righteous. They're, then they're saying, oh, well, we're free to do whatever we want. We're free to, to live a life of license. You know, I, I've been enabled to do any number of things that, that, that make me feel good, that, that make me look good, or anything like that. He's like, look, no, that's not what you've been set free for. You've not been set free to live a life of selfishness. You've not been set free to live a life of license. But here he, he gives a strong warning. I'm going to keep forgetting to do that. <laughs> There's a warning here about these works of the flesh, though. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that the implicit question here is, what characterizes your life? What characterizes your life? Because I look at that list and I'm like, hmm? (laughs) I, uh... I mess up sometimes on some of the things on that list. You know, sometimes I say things that are divisive. Sometimes I throw a fit. And unlike my toddler, I don't like, I know not to throw my head back and slam it on the floor, but that's just life experience. But I'm like right there with him sometimes in that. You know, so when, what does that mean when we look at that list? Does that mean that if we, if, if we have an outburst that we're not going to be, we're not Christians anymore? What does that mean? It's, what characterizes your life? And I think if we look at this list and we say, oh, I have a desire for a lot of that, or I have a desire for some of that, I have a desire for a bunch of that, and then we look at our lives and we have no desire to please God, and we have no desire to glorify the Lord, and we have no desire to, as we're going to see in a minute, embody the fruit of the Spirit and display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We have no desire to glorify the Lord with our lives. If we look at that list and we say, that's me, and it's like a pretty good description of who I am, I think then is when we look at this and we we see this stern warning here of, is there anything in our lives that's at tension with these desires? Because I think we all, because of our sinfulness, because of our flesh, we all have these desires, but is it what characterizes our life? Is it, when, when somebody thinks about our lives, is the first thing that they think about is that you're a sexually immoral person? Is the fir- first thing they think about is that you are an envious person, that you're a drunkard? You know, that you, you are f- full of, you know, that you, you're constantly just outbursting with wrath and you're never kind to anyone? You know, what, what, what do people, and not really, you know, because, you know, maybe people's perception of us is skewed and whatnot. But what does the Lord see when he looks at our lives? What characterizes our lives in the Lord's eyes? But if we sin from time to time and it grieves us and it breaks our hearts and we desire to live differently and uprightly glorifying the Lord, then that's, that's just basically the Christian walk. We are going to stumble as we try to keep in step with the Spirit. As we try to walk in the way of the Spirit, we're going to stumble and fall down. And that's why John 2, or 1 John 2 talks about the fact that Jesus is our advocate. Because we are going to sin. And when we do sin, he's going to go to bat for us. He's going to defend us, even in the midst of our sinfulness. So I don't know if you guys 
are familiar with who this is. This is a comedian, John Christ, who's gotten uh, quite a bit of popularity uh, over the last couple of years. Um, I follow him on Instagram, and so I see his uh, Instagram stories. Usually they're pretty funny, but every once in a while he has like this serious one where he just kind of starts preaching. <laughs> um, and recently he had a, an Instagram story where he was talking about, uh, he was kind of defending some Christian celebrities who had come under some fire for some decisions that they had made and, and whatnot. Um, and I didn't agree with everything he said, but one thing that struck me in the video that he talked about was if if we go out, you know, and we're like, you know, just out in, in public and we see somebody uh, and, and they're they're drunk, you know, they're just, you can clearly tell when someone's inebriated, you know, they're, they're drunk in public, um, or whatnot, and then we go and we see them in church, we, we, our tendency can be, oh, I can't believe that person's in church. Like, I know what they're really like. They're, they're not, they're not a Christian. They're, I, I saw what they're really like. But his encouragement was, well, wait a second. How come it doesn't go the other way? Though when we see that person in that situation where they're, you know, in, in sin, caught in some sin, we look at them and we say, oh man, that's a shame. Because I know what that person's really like. That person's a Christian, and that's not what their life is really like. And it just, it just challenged my thinking a little bit on that of what, what defines how we view other people. Um, and that's not to say that there's no place for us to, to call somebody out when they're in sin. I think that's definitely the, the truth. But, um, you know, recently I had a friend who, uh, went to a wedding and, uh, I wasn't there. I, I don't know many people who were there, but this friend got drunk at this wedding. And afterwards, they called me up and they're like, look, I, <laughs> I don't know how I let that happen. It's never happened before. I feel absolutely horrible. All I can keep thinking about is every which way that could have went sideways. Thankfully, it didn't, and I didn't do anything stupid uh, under the influence of that alcohol. But and, you know, this person's confessing their sins to me. They're confessing their sins to God. Is, you know, is it my place to look at them and say, oh, wow, you're clearly not going to be in the kingdom of God. Don't you know that drunkenness is, you know, is something that won't lead to the kingdom of heaven? No, this is somebody who's clearly broken up over their sin. There was clearly a tension between the desire of, of the spirit and the desire of the flesh. And the desire of the spirit was winning because it had brought this person back to Jesus had brought this person back to right fellowship with the Lord. And that's, that, that's what that's, that's all about. So this stern warning should, you know, we, it should be time for pause to examine our lives and, and what really are, do the, do the actions and the desires of our life tell us about who we are? What really does the Lord see when He looks at our lives? Do we find ourselves in that brokenheartedness that the Apostle Paul was in when he talked about in Romans that, you know, the, the things, the good things that I want to do, I don't do because my flesh is so weak. And so, so I end up sinning. Are, are we, are we broken up over our sin or do we not really care? Does it not really concern us? And then he, contrast that, so he has that long list, it's, it's basically you know the, the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit, and then he goes into the fruit of the Spirit. So, we display the fruit of the Spirit. 
It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When we walk by the Spirit, these nine attributes should characterize our lives. And it's worth noting the, the fruit here is singular. It's, you know, the, the point is that the, all nine of these things would be present in the life of every believer. It's, it's not like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of patient, but I'm not really good with the, the self-control thing. So, you know, kind of evens out, right? <laughs> no, all, all of these things should be present in our lives. But they, they are completely different from the law. In fact, he says, against such things, there is no law. So the law, in so many ways, was to keep you in check. It's, it's like a, a speed limit sign out there on the road. You know, the, the, the point of the speed limit sign is to keep us in check as we drive down the road. The, the, but not so with the fruit of the Spirit. It's not like, you know, when you're displaying kindness or goodness, somebody's going to pull up next to you and be like, whoa, you, sir, way too much kindness today. You better calm it down, all right? We're going to get you a ticket otherwise. That's, that's not, it's kind of a humorous illustration, but the point is, look, there's, there's any time that you say, you can't really say like, oh, I've been loving enough because there's no law on it. There's no limit on it. It's, it's, you know, every time that we, we do these things and we say, oh, you know, I, you know, I, I feel like I've been more joyful. There's always more joy from the Lord to experience. Every time that we've experienced the Lord's peace in our lives, there's always more of His peace to experience in our lives. There's always more fruit of the Spirit available to us. And again, this isn't something that is just a, you know, like a, a checklist for us to go do. It's, these are blessings, the fruit of the Spirit are blessings from God that we get to experience in our lives. You know, some of the basic things that people struggle with are, I, I, I feel alone, I feel like nobody understands me, I feel like nobody loves me, I feel like nobody values me. Fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, I, I feel depressed, I feel, you know, like... I, I, the world would be a better place without me. I, I, I just, I, I feel just like I can't do anything right ever. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. You know, I, there's so many things that I'm worried about. You know, the bills come in and I'm looking at my bank account balance and I'm not sure how everything's going to work out and I got a kid to feed and my, my spouse is depending on me and I, I just don't know how I'm going to make it all to come, come together. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. So the, these, these things are not just stuff for us to go do and you know and I think that the, <laughs> if if you're lacking peace and I stood up here and said hey I got a bunch of stuff for you to go do here's a burden for you to carry through the rest of your life I think that would just rob all of us of any hope of peace if if that's what we're struggling with but the the point here is that these are blessings that the Lord affords to us and then yes he he does enable us and empower us to carry them out to to live them out. And I do think that this is worth checking ourselves by. I think that everyone should memorize the fruit of the Spirit, should memorize these couple of verses, um, and to, to check yourself as, as we go through our lives and say, hey, you know, I wasn't that patient in that circumstance. You know, I didn't really have to 
cut off that guy on the highway and scream at him. I, I could have done that differently. I could have been more kind. I could have demonstrated more goodness in those situations. And as John Christ would say, check your heart. You know, check your heart as you uh, deal with, um, look at that and examine your life by the fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, I wanted to give a little bit of a shout out. This is um, my father-in-law, Craig Vincent. Um, on Christmas Eve, we were going to do a candlelight service over at, um, over at Bluestone Church. I was going to be leading that service, but that morning I got hit with a horrible stomach bug, probably the worst uh, sickness I've had you know, since I was a, at least a young kid, if not longer. And um, I was bedridden all day, and it just became apparent that there was n- absolutely no way that I was going to be able to lead the service. And so this is a picture of him leading our candlelight service. He came down from the Poconos um, just on the spot. He had just a couple hours' notice, came down, filled in for me there. Um, and this is just, you know... Th- this man is by far my biggest spiritual mentor in life. He's been a consistent friend to me. And really, he's, you know, even though he's not my biological father, he's been uh, a stupendous father figure in my life. And I've been really grateful to have him embodying the fruit of the Spirit for me, you know. And I look to him and I see his example of how he lives his life. And I think that some of us, when we could be tempted when we look at the the, fr- the fruit of the Spirit, and, you know, say like, oh, it j- like that just means, like, be a nice guy. Be, be a nice person. And uh, this is not an insult. It's a compliment. This is, Craig Vincent is, is not a nice person. Displaying the fruit of the Spirit doesn't just mean that you're, like, an okay guy or an okay person or just a, a nice person. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is tell the hardest truth there is to tell. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do is to stand your foot in the ground and say, no, I'm not going to enable you to continue this life of addiction, to continue this life of destructive behavior to yourself and other people. And so, you know, when I look at him, I see somebody who's brave and courageous and steadfast and nice never comes to mind because kindness and goodness and love and joy and peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, there's so much deeper than nice, than just, just being an okay guy. He, he is an agent by the grace of the Lord Jesus. You know, I'm not trying to glorify a man up here. By the grace of the Lord Jesus in his life, he is an agent of, of transformation and of these things that, that just go so much deeper than just being, having a reputation for being a nice guy. And sometimes he says things that hurt. And you can't be nice if you say things that hurt sometimes. But I I submit that whenever he does that, it's the thing that I need to hear usually, if not always. It's the thing that like, yeah, it stings a little bit, but I know he's always going to shoot me straight. And so when I have something that I'm really wrestling with, I don't think, oh, who's the nicest guy that I can go to? I think, who's going to tell me the truth? And immediately Craig Vincent comes to mind. And so embodying the fruit of the Spirit doesn't, mean that we're going to be pushovers as we walk through life. doesn't mean that we're going to be someone's doormat. It means living courageously and bravely and, and, uh, and you know, doing things that no one else is willing to do, saying things that no one else is willing to say. Yes, 
with gentleness, with meekness, with love, with kindness. But that's not weakness. That's not just being pleasant and nice all the time. And then lastly, we never depart from God's Spirit. And I think this is absolutely crucial, and it's sometimes hard to, to know because Paul is talking very spiritually here. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Yeah, that's, that's kind of obscure for us to understand, right? You know, I, like when I look at that, I'm like, I don't usually say like, Hey, you keep it in step with the Spirit today? And if I did ask you that, I think you would probably have no idea what I was asking you, and I wouldn't blame you for that. This is somewhat difficult for us to to understand. But I think that the parallels between some of the other verses around here, um, around this passage, and the, the theme throughout Galatians that he's built is that the same way that we were saved is how we ought to live our lives each and every day. So what does it mean? How do we live by the Spirit? Will we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, for sustaining throughout this life, for our our only hope, our only chance? We trust in the Lord Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. He seals us. Then the Holy Spirit does all these things behind the scenes that when we trust in Jesus, we really don't know that the Holy Spirit's doing that necessarily. So we live that way. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives the moment we trust in Jesus. In the same way that we do that, we keep walking in the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. We live our lives each and every day on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we never leave it. Yes, we grow in maturity, but we never move on from the gospel. We, you know, I think sometimes people think like, oh, the gospel's, you know, yeah, I trusted in Jesus a long time ago, and then we move on, we start building our own righteousness, we start building, you know, our, our own standards and everything, and then we start judging people by those arbitrary standards and by our own perceived self-righteousness, which is really sin. We never move on from that. We never move on from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he alludes to it right there. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right there, he alludes to the gospel of Jesus, how pervasive it is, how transformative it is to our lives. If we look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, If then you have been raised with Christ, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead and we rise with him. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never never move on from the gospel. And that prevents us from being judgmental, first of all, and and becoming, you know, very law-focused. But it also prevents us from living this life of license. That we, We see this is what the Spirit desires for us. When we look at everything that Jesus did to show God's kindness to us, in sacrificing his life for us, in imparting a new life to us, we have the opportunity to participate in those things. And as we do that, it's not 
boring. It's not like we're, you know, somehow deprived of a, a, a great life of sin out there. You know, when we go on these trips to Knobles or uh, Dorney, which again uh, is better, um, <laughs> when, we, when we go on those trips, one of the guidelines that we have for the teenagers um, with, when we take Epicenter on those trips is that you, you have to stay in the park. You have to, uh, you know, you, and you, like, you can't just like, leave unless you're in a group with a leader. You have to be in a, a group of three or more people with a leader. And then, you, you know, if you have to go out to the car for something or whatever, then you can do that. But otherwise, you have to stay in the park. And that's like a pretty like, obvious guideline, right? Like it's, it's like, look, guys, all of the fun stuff is on this side of the fence. You have to stay on that side. Don't go out there where you could get hit by a car or kidnapped or, you know, what, what, or, you know, if you, and like, don't do anything. Because we also know that if you're going out there, you're probably trying to do something stupid. So don't go do anything that you're going to regret outside the park. Just stay in the park. Do the wise thing. Do the smart thing. You're going to have a blast, and you're not going to do anything that you regret. Keep in step on these sidewalks of this park. You know, you have all the freedom you want inside this area. And that's exactly what it's like, to, you know, in terms of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we, we walk following the example of Jesus, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with Jesus, looking like our Father in heaven as any child should look like their own Father, and we never regret it. We never go, oh man, you know, I think sometimes we kind of stray and we look at the grass on the other side of the fence and we start thinking about it. And then when we go over there, we regret it. And we think, oh, why did I do this? This was dumb. And then we jump back over the fence. And then like five seconds later, we're like, oh, I wonder if the grass is any better on that side of the fence. And we jump back. But every time, we, the most fulfilled, joyous, peaceful, loving life that we can have is this walking, following the example of Jesus, keeping in step with the Spirit, looking like our Father in heaven. We, we never regret it. It's not boring. It's so much better than any joy that a theme park could bring to our lives because it's actually meaningful and sustaining through the highs and lows, the roller coaster ups and downs of life. Um, that's what the Lord has for us, to experience his blessings. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. So even when we think we want something else, he knows what we really want. He knows what we really need. And he created us to enjoy it and to have the most fulfillment and the most joy in following what he's called us to. To experience what it's like to live as his child. And yes, there, there's freedom in that. It's not a life of law. It's a life of freedom. But it's a life of freedom to, to be blessed and to be a blessing to so many people. So again, I would challenge you to, if you haven't, memorize the fruit of the Spirit and to use that as a metric to, to check ourselves by and to, to think through, you know, how, how am I showing the love of Jesus? Not just in my actions, but also in my words. How am I communicating the love of Jesus through the fruit of the Spirit in my life, both with what I say and what I do? Let's pray.
Dear Lord, thank you so much. for the fact that you bless us even when we don't deserve it, especially when we don't deserve it. And that you, despite our frailty, despite our weakness, despite our um, just desire to wander away from you sometimes, you, you call us back to you. You enable us and empower us to do your will and your work in this world. God, I uh, thank you for each one who's here. Thank you for this holiday season. I pray that uh, we could all experience rest this time of year, that we, uh, even in these next couple of days, that we could spend time with our loved ones, that we could spend time with friends, that we could just rest in you and in the hope of the gospel. And before we get back to the the hurry-scurry of life and all of our duties and responsibilities. God, help us to find those moments of rest in you, knowing that you've provided for our every need. We thank you for it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, Communication card in the center of the bulletin. I remembered it this time. I always forget this. <laughs> um, you can fill that out if there's any prayer requests that you have or if there's uh, any way that you want to get involved in the church or anything like that. And you can drop it in the offering plate as it comes around or in the box in the back, and Pastor John will uh, get back to you on that. Um, and if the men will come forward, let me pray for the offering. Dear Lord, thank you for this offering. Thank you for... Uh, just the heart of the giver. Um, God, I pray that you would bless it and use it for your glory here at Core Creek Church and in the surrounding community and around the world. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.